Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor David Eldridge. Wrapping up our look at 1 Peter's couple more weeks, we're looking at his final words. Last week, Chad Almy looked at, uh, Peter has these real, kind of two strong final instructions, last words matter. Uh, last week, Chad looked at this uh, idea of humbling ourselves before the Lord, and he would lift us up in due time, cast our cares on him, for he cares for us. We said humility is, is a core element of humility is expressing our need, acknowledging our need for, for God. And one of the ways we do that is by casting our cares on him. Your cares are the burdens that are associated with your lot in life. So it's kind of what just comes from living your life. And one of the in the way we cast our cares is through is, is through prayer. So when we pray, we're we're acknowledging our need. God, we need you to get involved because we can't handle this on our own. And today we're going to look at some more of Peter's final instructions. This is actually really his his last strong word um, to his congregation. So starting in verse eight, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So two commands in this section. One, be alert and be sober-minded, and then the other, Resist the devil standing firm in your faith. So we'll look at each in turn. Be alert and sober-minded. Be sober-minded, be clear-headed. It's the opposite of it would be to be drunk. Don't be under the influence of any spiritual forces. Keep your mind sharp and be alert, be aware, be on your guard. All, really, all Peter is saying is what you think. He's just saying be on your toes. Be on your toes. You need to be watchful because you have an enemy. Now, we've said repeatedly that Peter's congregations are being persecuted. They're exiles, and as exiles, they're strangers, foreigners in their own country. They've begun to follow Jesus. There's only a small handful of them, maybe several dozen. They're meeting in homes. The people, the surrounding country, the surrounding town, the, the village, they're, they're looking at these guys cross-eyed. What, what, who is this you're following? Why have you changed your lifestyle? And they're being persecuted. They're being persecuted by their government. Some of them who are slaves are being persecuted by their masters. Some of the women are being persecuted by unbelieving husbands. And many of them are being persecuted by their neighbors. So that's what they're, they're feeling. They can put names and faces to every one of their enemies the ones who are causing them pain. And Peter says, actually, none of those guys are your enemies. Your enemy is the devil. It's not the people that, you're, that, are, actual, that, are, that are physically persecuting you. It's not them. It's the devil who's behind that. And he's prowling around. He's roaring like a lion, looking for someone to devour. A lion is the most ferocious beast they knew. When you think of a roaring lion, I think of intimidation. I'm not a zoologist, but if a lion is stalking its prey, it's not roaring. That would give away where it is. And everybody runs. If you've ever heard a lion roar, everybody runs. So the, the roaring to me, it's really about him in trying to intimidate these new small groups of believers. He's looking to devour. It's a really strong word. It means to swallow up your prey in one bite. It's 
the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It's that idea of destroying. And Peter is saying, you need to be on the lookout because there's someone who's trying to do that to you. And it's not the guys who are giving you a hard time. It's the devil. And you may be thinking, whoa, hold on. He's looking to devour us. Remember, this is written to the church. This is written to Christians, not to non-believers. Doesn't Jesus protect us? Isn't he our fortress, our refuge, our strong tower? What does it mean for him to protect us? If, if we're, are we really in danger of being devoured? And that's where that second command comes in. Resist, oppose, stand against this work of the devil, standing firm in your faith. And he says, because everybody else, all the other believers... They're all experiencing the same thing. This isn't unique to you guys. It's not because God's upset with you that he's allowing you to be persecuted. He's not, he's not angry. You're not doing anything wrong. This is just part of it. Again, at this point, when Peter is written, Jesus has been raised from the dead for about 30 years. Everywhere the gospel's going, it's going for the first time. There is no Christian or church history in any of the places where the church is now being established. It's brand new. And it's starting small. Again, everybody, there, there are no church buildings. Everyone is meeting in homes. You're talking about 10, 12, 15, 20 people. Maybe you have several house churches within a town or a village. But it's, this is a small number of people, definitely a minority faith. And again, it's new. Nobody knows who Jesus is until somebody tells them for the first time. There's not, there's not a church on every corner. It's very, we can't picture what it would be like for these guys. How, again, how small and, I'm gonna use the word fragile, the Lord's at work, so it's not, but fragile it would feel when you've got this small group of new Christians in these largely pagan areas. And Peter is saying, hey, it's not just you guys, it's everybody, and they're all suffering equally to y'all. The persecution is not uniform, but in different places, it takes on different forms, different levels of intensity, but everybody is, they're paying a price for following Jesus. And what Peter says to them is, is resist the devil, standing firm in your faith. What is the devil trying to do? So your faith as a Christian is secure. Jesus clearly says, nobody, nobody can snatch you from my hand. Nobody's strong enough to do that. Paul says in Romans 8, nothing can separate you from the love of God. And he lists a bunch of things. Nothing at all can separate you from the love of God. So if Jesus has a grip on you, nobody is strong enough. Nothing is strong enough to break that grip. Spiritually, you are secure. Physically or temporally in this world, you're very much vulnerable. Jesus is the prime example. He was betrayed, he was denied, he was abandoned, he was arrested and mocked and beaten and killed. He suffered in this life. There's this, and that's, a, that's the model for us. Peter, who wrote this, he's going to be crucified. He doesn't know that yet, but in a few years, we know that. It's going to happen to him. Spiritually, we're secure. Jesus has a, a hold on you. Nobody's strong enough to break that grip. Physically, though, we're certainly vulnerable and at risk. And what the devil is doing is he's trying to intimidate Peter's congregations through persecution. They're suffering, and the, that, that's the roaring. The persecution, that is, that is the roaring. He's trying to intimidate them into denying Jesus. He's not strong enough to break Jesus' grip 
on Peter's congregation. So what he's trying to do is get the people in Peter's congregations to deny and reject Jesus. The, the theological word for that is apostasy. To apostatize is to intentionally and deliberately deny Jesus after sincerely following him. A non-Christian cannot be an apostate because they never follow Jesus. So this is someone who has made a sincere effort, intention to follow Jesus, and at some point they intentionally deny him, deny knowledge of him, relationship with him. That's what the enemy's trying to do. Don't get, stay with me there. Spiritually, we're secure. Physically, we're vulnerable. The enemy knows that. He knows he can't break the grip of Jesus on his people. So what he's trying to do is get the people to reject Jesus after they've already begun to follow him. And what Peter says is, just stand there. Just stand there. Stand in your faith. Stand firm in your faith. Be solid. That's what that word means, standing firm. Just be solid. You don't have to fight. We, nowhere do we see in 1 Peter that he says fight, particularly the people who are persecuting you. What he says to them is submit to those guys. Voluntarily obey them as far as you can. If obeying them causes you to disobey Jesus, then you can disobey them. But short of that, obey them with the hope that they'll see the good deeds that you're performing and they'll turn towards the Lord. The people who are persecuting you, we want those guys to be converted. We resist the devil, and the way we resist the devil is just by staying where we are. Brooks, will you come here? Please. You, Brooks. This is Brooks. I figured you wouldn't mind. I was looking around. You don't mind. So Brooks is going to be Jesus, and I'm going to be me. So this is the deal. We're going to hold hands, which we both love. All right, so this is us. So Brooks... Jesus Gillum has a grip on me. I'm a Christian, and so he's holding me tightly. The devil is not strong enough to break this. He can't do anything about it. Nothing can separate us. Nobody can snatch me from Brooks's hand. What the devil's trying to do to these, to these uh, followers, uh, these congregations in 1 Peter, is he's trying to say, through this suffering, deny. Take steps away. Every time I deny, not you, you stay still. So Jesus doesn't move, I move. Every time I deny, this is difficult. My neighbors are giving me a hard time. Remember 1 Peter 4, you guys used to do all this stuff and you're not doing it anymore. It says that they're heaping abuse on the Christians. Well, I don't want anybody to heap abuse on me. So I pretend I'm not a Christian. I reject, I Deny. This is what's happening to us. And every step I take away from Jesus makes me more vulnerable to the devil. Nobody can break this grip, but I can wriggle out if I want to. Now I'm vulnerable big time to being devoured. That's not the end of the story. Jesus is a good shepherd and he pursues the one who wanders away. We have a good father who's always looking for the prodigals to return, but this is dangerous. I don't know where the line is, but this is truth. I can so deny and reject. He, Jesus never lets go of me. Takes two people to stay married, one person to get a divorce. I continue to move away from him every time I deny and I reject. That's what the enemy's trying to do through this intimidation. He's roaring to get people to do this. He can't break the grip that Jesus has on me, so he's trying to get me to break it. He's trying to get me to wriggle free which is not easy to do. 
But that's what he's trying to do. And Peter is saying, listen, just stand here. This is all you got to do. Just stand here. This is resisting, me not moving. I don't have to go for I don't have to do anything except stay seated with Jesus in heavenly places. That makes sense. Thanks. They never clap for me, Brooks. <laughs> That's the picture. It breaks down, but you get the idea. Remember the guy who's writing the letter. He's the most famous denier in the history of deniers. On the night that Jesus was arrested, what did Peter do? Three times. Denied knowing him. Jesus said to all of the disciples at the Last Supper, y'all are all gonna desert me. And Peter says, not me. They might, not me. Jesus looks him in the eye. You're gonna deny knowing me three times. No, I'm not. I'm willing to die with you. He means it. I'm willing to die with you. Within hours, three times, he denies knowing Jesus, each time with increasing intensity. He knows what it is to deny. He knows what it is to do this from Jesus. He didn't plan on it. It wasn't deliberate and intentional. Judas was deliberate and intentional. Premeditated, cold-blooded, calculated betrayal. Peter had every intention and believed, I'm, I'm in. I love Jesus. He overestimated his courage, and when he was, the spotlight was put on him, he wilted. He denied knowing. And so I think verse 10 is Peter saying, as someone who's been there, listen, this isn't all up to you. The God of grace who has called you, you're not just an exile, you're also elect. You've been chosen You've been adopted into God's family. He is working in you. It's not up to you on your own to stay here. One, if you deny like me, you can be restored. That's the first word. He will restore you. That's the that's word for setting a broken bone. He's going to mend it. He's going to make it right. Remember, after Jesus was resurrected, he appeared to Peter. Yes, but even more, he took him on a walk on the beach. And gave him three opportunities to say, I love you and I'm committed to you. Three opportunities to, to confess and profess his love after three denials. Peter was completely restored. He knows firsthand experience. He can say, God is doing this. You moving away is not the end of the story. He restores. And when you're in the midst of it, God strengthens, he makes firm, he makes steadfast. Those are three different ways of saying the same thing. If this is all you've got to do is stand still, Peter is saying, God, he will help you do that. He will strengthen you when you get weak. He will make you firm when you get shaky. He will make you steadfast when your foundation is unstable. He'll do all those things. It's not up to you on your own. Peter knows that as someone who's been there. He knows what it is to deny. I wonder how many times Peter thinks, man, if I had only, if I'd only listened when Jesus said everybody was gonna desert. If I had thought about it and realized I've been with this guy for three years, he hasn't been wrong yet. Now's probably not the one. If I had just said, you're right. If all of us had just said, you know, I, I don't, I don't feel like I'm, I, I really feel like I'm committed, but you're batting a thousand. And if you say we're all deserting, 
then would you help us? When he's in the garden and he falls asleep and Jesus says, can't you just stay awake for an hour? Could Peter at that point have said, yes, help me. He never asked. And so this is the result. Peter knows what it is when you try to stand on your own. And so he's saying to them, you don't have to stand on your own. If you fall, there's restoration. And in the midst, in that that crucible of the test, there's strength, there's making firm, there's making steadfast. There's the Holy Spirit working within you to help you stand. He's got the power to do that. He has the ability to make those things happen. A couple of ways that this plays out. When I think about the way the devil works, there's intimidation and there's deception. I'm gonna differentiate, you may kind of blend them together and that's fine, but just for the sake of discussion. There's intimidation, which we've been looking at, and there's deception. There's 360 million Christians in the world right now who live in places where they experience a high degree of persecution and or discrimination. It's called the persecuted church. 360 million, there's 330 something million people in the United States. This is a ton of people. 360 million high degrees of persecution or discrimination. You can Google the persecuted church and you can get some more info. The countries there in red, those are the top 50 where it's the worst. Most of them are either uh, communist governments or Islamic governments. Very difficult to be a Christian in those places. They're living First Peter, the whole book. That's what they're living. They're being persecuted by their government. They're being persecuted by their employers. Some of them are being persecuted by their family. They're being persecuted by their neighbors. They're living First Peter. And what he would say to them is resist the devil standing firm in your faith. There's 360 million people who are experiencing the same thing that you are. Stand firm. And for some of you, you may experience the devil in a similar way. You're not persecuted. But you may experience him as a roaring, prowling lion. I think of this primarily where we live at uh, being triggered by fear. For some of us, fear has a grip on us, maybe not in every area of our life, but in particular areas. And when that, that fear is kind of triggered or unleashed for us, it's, it is very intimidating And our response, how does that lead us to deny Jesus? How does fear make me deny Jesus? It's what Chad talked about last week. When I get get fearful, I'm gonna try to control outcomes. I don't know how things are gonna work out. I'm afraid of how they may work out. And so I'm gonna inject myself into that situation and do what I can. I try to control outcomes. Maybe I get really angry and try to let the force of my emotion control an outcome. Maybe I get on the phone and try to let the power of my network control an outcome. Maybe I get to thinking and try to figure out a good outcome, whatever it is. I'm bringing my resources to bear to try to control this outcome. It's fear, but it's causing me to deny Jesus, take these little steps away from him. I'm trusting in my ability to make something happen versus trusting him to work things out. And that may be your experience. You may say, yes, when I think of the devil, I think of him in my life as roaring like a lion. He, he tries to intimidate me. That's what he does. And maybe, maybe fear is the way that plays out. I think for many of us, Bible Belt affluent culture, what we, the way we experience the devil is more through this lens of deception. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, masquerading as an angel of light. To masquerade is to alter your appearance. We've said a thousand times, there are, there's no pointy tail and pitchfork. 
Nobody's fallen for that. He's an angel of light. He's the father of lies. He is, he is the best liar out there. He's been doing it for a long time. And he's been studying humans for a long time. He knows what we want to hear. He masquerades as an angel of light. Here's something that's 90% true. And he tries to get us to bite that. None of you are going for something that's 0% true. You can smell that lie a mile away. What the devil does, he knows the truth. We see him with Jesus in the wilderness quoting the Bible. He knows the truth, and so he twists it. And he knows us, and so he targets us. He knows the things that we want to be true. He targets our flesh. He knows the things that I want to be true. And so he, he, he twists the truth in a way that stirs that desire in me. And he does the same thing for you. He's masquerading as an angel of light. It's not completely false. There's enough truth to make us bite. And then we convince ourselves that it's fully true. Examples. And these are just two for our community as a whole. They may not necessarily resonate with you. You need to think through how does he masquerade as an angel of light in your life. One, where we live, money is always a blessing. It's never a temptation. That's not true. Money is a blessing. Give us this day our daily bread. None of you are gonna have manna on your front yard tomorrow when you wake up. That's not how that prayer is answered for us. You have money in your bank so you can go buy your manna. Like, that's it. So it's true. Money is a blessing. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, very wealthy. Solomon, probably the wealthiest guy who ever lived. Money is a blessing, but it's not always a blessing. It's also a temptation. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You can't serve both God and money. The devil knows us and he knows what we want to be true. More money's always better. That's what we want to be true. I want it to be true that God's going to give me, if I'm faithful to him, he's going to give me more. I want that to be true. He knows that. That's an easy thing. He takes something that is true. God meets our needs. He does abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. Then he twists that. More's always better. It's always a blessing. You don't need to worry. You never need to say no. It's all a gift. How does that cause me to deny Jesus? Because I can't serve God in money. And so I can be, the more I, in general, as we accumulate and acquire, it becomes easier and easier to trust in money than to trust in him. Easier and easier to be satisfied with what money can buy me instead of satisfied in him. Easier and easier to develop a calloused heart towards people who don't have and to lose any kind of spirit of generosity. That's another lie. Well, if I had more, I would give. Uh -uh. If you're not giving off what you have, you're not going to give when you have more. Second, God is more concerned with my happiness, my comfort, than he is with my holiness, my character. It's not true. God's a good father, 100% true. He is a good father. He gives good gifts to his children, 100%. He goes before us, 100%. All of those things are true. And he disciplines those that he loves. Most of us don't memorize that Bible verse. He disciplines those that he loves. Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that you're now experiencing. 
It's a test. We want to see the quality of your faith. We don't think that way. It is true that God is a good father. I want it to be true that it's always going to be green lights, that I'm always going to find a parking place in front of the store. I want it to be true that every, the answer to every question is going to be yes. I want it to be true that every, pray that I, every prayer that I pray is answered the way that I want it to be. He knows that about me. So he takes something that's true, God's a good father, and twists it just a little bit, and then again, personalizes it to those things that I want you want to be true. Level every mountain, fill in every valley, make every crooked path straight. That's what we all want. But God disciplines those he loves. Sometimes God causes or allows difficulty in our life as a test. He tests Abraham. That's what Genesis 22 says. God tested Abraham. Let's see, what, let's see, let's see the quality of that faith. And it feels a whole lot like a fiery ordeal. If I believe the lie that God is more invested in my happiness and comfort than in my holiness and character, when I experience suffering, I'm incited to deny. It causes me to blame him, to question him, to close off my heart to him, to say, you're not treating me fairly, whatever that means. It causes, it, it creates distance, which makes me vulnerable. Rather than turning towards him in my suffering, I turn away from him. And there may be others, and, and there are. I, I don't know exactly how the enemy masquerades as an angel of light in your life, but those are two that I do think are common in our community. Again, in an affluent Bible belt culture, we lose sight of the fact that money can actually be a temptation. It's not always a blessing. And we lose sight of the fact that God's more invested in conforming us into the image of Jesus than he is us always being happy and wealthy and wise all of the time. We're gonna close with communion. And uh, the way we'll take that, you'll come forward a row at a time, break off a piece of bread, dip it in the juice. We have gluten-free communion here and then these, um, this prepackaged communion. As we take communion, I want a couple of things in your mind. As Matt mentioned, it is Pentecost Sunday, the day where we intentionally look back on, on the first Pentecost when the Father and the Son poured out the Spirit on the church. And that's easy to lose sight of, but think about the reality for us. The God of the universe lives in you and me. That's wild. The God who made you lives within you. He didn't just make you. He made everything seen and unseen. And all of the resources of heaven are available to us through the Holy Spirit. So if you struggle with fear, there's great news. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. That's Romans 8. He can make you strong and firm and steadfast in those moments of doubt and shakiness. If you struggle with deception, there's great news. The Holy Spirit who lives within you, part of his job is to guide you into all truth and to teach you all things. He can help you see through the lies of the enemy. You don't have to do that on your own. He can guide you and direct you into that. When we talk about 
the ongoing work of the Spirit. Sometimes the word we, we say we want to be filled, and that's kind of an interesting word. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit already lives within you, so you're, we're not getting more of him. He's a person. You either have him or you don't. And if you're a Christian, then you do. He's taken up residence in your life. What we're doing is we're surrendering ourselves at a greater and greater level. That's that song that Haviland sang. We're surrendering ourselves more deeply to the Lord. And as we shrink, it allows him to expand. Does that make sense? As I take a step back, it allows him to take a step forward. So it's not necessarily that I'm getting more of God. It's that he's getting more of me. And so what we want to do this morning as we take communion, a couple of things in mind. One, for me, communion represents a lot of things. One of the things it represents is that everything we need, God has provided. If he didn't withhold his only son from us, his most precious possession, Jesus, how much more will he give us all things that we need? And so we can come forward with confidence. Whatever your area of need, he can meet. Jesus says, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so again, as we surrender today, we're surrendering to a good Father who only gives good gifts to his children. And the primary good gift is the Spirit. So we're gonna pray a couple of prayers together. I'll give you some time to reflect in the midst of that. But as you take communion, that's what I want you having in your mind. Is there an area where I need to submit or surrender at a greater level? Or places where maybe fear is gripping my heart and I need to release those outcomes. It doesn't mean you're never gonna be fearful again. You probably will be tomorrow. But this will help you. This is, then tomorrow, this is what you're doing. And on Tuesday, and on Wednesday, and then on August 31st, that's what you're doing. You're releasing, surrendering, creating space for the Holy Spirit to step in, casting your cares on him. For some of us, again, we're struggling maybe more with truth and deception. So what I'm doing is, God, I'm acknowledging, I don't know all there is to know. I can be fooled just like the next guy. There are things that I wanna be true. And so sometimes I ignore things that are. So I'm surrendering to you and asking you, Holy Spirit, to lead me more deeply into the truth, and he will. So let's stand up and we're gonna pray some prayers together. Then I'll have you sit back down and we'll take communion. So let's see. So we're gonna pray through that first bullet point, and then we're gonna pause, and then we'll do the second bullet point. So start with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, search me and know me. Show me any places in my heart where fear is tempting me to deny Jesus. So take 30 seconds and see if something comes to mind. So if something came to mind and you're willing to confess it, then you can just do that in your own heart. God, I confess that uh, in this area of my life, fear is driving me. And just name what that is. God, my prayer for those of us who struggle with fear is that as we take communion, we would recognize your perfect love for us and that would cast the fear out. I pray that you would help each one of us collectively and individually. Would you give us power?
to grasp how wide and high and long and deep is your love for us in Jesus, this love that surpasses knowledge. I pray that you would fill us to the fullness of the measure of your love. There wouldn't be room for fear because our hearts are full of love. All right, let's pray the second thing. Show me any places in my heart where I'm being deceived. Same thing, be quiet for 30 seconds. Something came up, same deal. You can confess it internally. God, I confess that in this area of my life, I'm believing a lie. God, I pray for those of us who the the enemy masquerades as an angel of light to us. We're we're prone to, to being deceived. I pray that we would hear your still, small voice through all of the noise and kind of the hoopla of this world and the devil, that we would be able to discern the clarity and crispness of your voice, even when it's a whisper. Okay, let's second slide, and we'll pray all of this together. Father, I thank you that you give the Holy Spirit to all who ask. Please fill me with your spirit again this morning. Holy Spirit, would you restore me in the places where I'm broken? Strengthen me in places where I'm weak. Make me firm in the places where I'm shaky. Make me steadfast in the places where my foundation is unstable. Lead me more deeply into truth in places where I'm being deceived. Amen. You guys can have a seat. If you're helping with communion or with ministry, if you find your spot, And I'll say, um, I'll just close us in prayer and then uh, Bo and Chad will lead us in worship and communion. We would love, we'll pray with you about anything at all that you have going on today, whatever that needs you came in with. Uh, And I would just, maybe in addition, if, if you're struggling in the resisting, there's zero shame in that. The enemy is really good at what he does. And none of us are meant to stand alone. So if there's an area where you're struggling to resist, where you're struggling to stand firm, please let these guys pray with you. No judgment. They would just love the opportunity to stand with you. So I'll I'll say a prayer and then we'll take communion. Father, we're grateful that you sent your son, Jesus. We're grateful that you said yes. And both father and son, we're grateful that you've given us your spirit. And I pray for every one of us that we would learn daily to surrender at a deeper and deeper level to bring ourselves more and more under your influence, that we would know your voice, that we would know your empowering presence, that we'd be people who are faithful and fruitful over time. So as we take communion, Holy Spirit, I pray you would awaken us to the reality of what it is to be a son or a daughter of God. We would know all of the, the resources that are available to us, And I pray that you would make those resources real in each one of our hearts, in each one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 